Hello and welcome to the One Football Podcast. Just when it seemed like this season was starting to find its feet, it went all weird again. Liverpool at the Christmas number one, Leicester a second and Manchester United are right in the title race. I'm Dan Burke, this is the last Premier League Weekend Review podcast of 2020 and I'm joined for this one by Lewis Ambrose. Hello. And Podrick Whelan. Hello. So this weird season is likely to get even weirder during the busy festive period. Uh, But Lewis, I wanted to know how you would feel if one day they decided to implement a proper winter break in English football and Christmas football became a thing of the past. No, no, can't do that. (laughs) Not for me. No, Christmas without football. It'd be awful, wouldn't it? I couldn't. I couldn't imagine it. Yeah, yeah. They'd have to do the break like in in the middle of January or something. Yeah. You agree with that, Podrick? Uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, (laughs) it's just not the same, is it? I mean, how how boring would Christmas be without it? Yeah, I don't even like how they've done the fixtures for New Year this year. How there's like just a couple of games on New Year's Day, and then most of them are on the second. That doesn't feel right to me either. But everyone should be forced to play on the twenty eighth or the twenty ninth. And then again on uh, on New Year's Day, and then a couple on the second. I guess yeah, that's a proper Christmas. Totally, schedule, totally, absolutely. Anyway, let's crack on because we've got absolutely loads to get through today. And um, we'll start at Selhurst Park, where Liverpool kicked off the weekend with a stunning seven nil victory at Crystal Palace on Saturday. That's the first time they've scored seven in a top flight away game since 1991. Uh, but strangely, that's their first Premier League away win since September. It leaves them four points clear at the top of the table. Do you reckon this is their title to lose now, Podrick? Yeah, I think so. I think even like before the season started, it was it was they were by a country mile the best team in the, the country. And then you see how everyone else has, has started the season. The teams you kind of thought like say and the like that might have been able to push them, not really got going yet. Um, so yeah, I mean, you just you look at them and how good they are, and then you look at the rest, and you really don't see you don't see anyone that's let alone a clear favourite to maybe finish second never Mm. mind genuinely challenge Liverpool for the title very true yeah I mean they've lost Virgil van Dijk Joe Gomez and Diogo Jota to long term injuries and also had plenty of other injury problems to deal with Lewis are you surprised by how well they've coped with all that I think it says like it speaks volumes for that how well oiled they are and how organised they are that the defence doesn't seem to have really suffered since since losing van Dijk especially Mm. Um, yeah, Diego Diego Jota was out, and suddenly Firmino and Mane are back in form. So, I mean, it just helps, doesn't it? Having depth, having quality to mm. that level, three or four players who can who can score goals on a regular basis. And yeah, I mean, one more injury, you probably start to worry for them, like Salah or or Mane if they were injured for for any considerable amount of time, or Fabinho as well. But if that doesn't happen, then it's hard to look past them. Yeah, I always thought that Van Dyke one would be the one that would make the whole sort of house of cards come tumbling down. But uh, so far, so good for them, I guess. Um, Takumi Minamino scored the first goal at Crystal Palace. Uh, exactly 12 months of the day since he joined Liverpool from Red Bull Salzburg. He's been a bit of a forgotten man this season, though. Do you, do you, do you expect him to kick on from here, Podrick? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a weird one with Minamino, isn't it? I think he's just... He's probably uh, been quite hard done by the... He came into a team in January that was just already, like Lewis said, they're just such a well-oiled machine that, I mean, it's going to be hard for anyone I suppose, to come into a team like that and midway through a season. and then. But you see how like Yota did it in the summer and he's come mm. in and he, he just kind of hit the ground running and made it look easy when in fact, like, you know, it's not that easy and we 
probably coming into a team like that, we maybe shouldn't have expected um, too much, like too soon from Minamino anyway. But he was he was really good at the weekend, and he's probably not been helped as well. I think like he's played he's played all over. I mean, mm. I think there was games even last season he was he was almost playing that Firmino position. He's played kind of that in the deeper midfield positions. He's played out wide, obviously where he. He played at the weekend and played really well. So he has kind of been shunted around when Klopp's needed to mix and match here and there. Um, I still don't think like he's he's going to be anywhere near their, their uh, ideal starting eleven or Klopp's favoured eleven. But mm-hmm. he's definitely, especially with Yota being injured now too, he's definitely has got a big part to play. Yeah, he's, I, I remember thinking he was going to be such a great signing for them, and he's not been a bad signing for them. He just hasn't really yeah. sort of set the world alight, which has uh, which has surprised me a little bit. But there, yeah, when you think about it, the amount of t- talent they've got in that forward line, it's going to be hard to break in, isn't it? And speaking of that, Roberto Firmino has also silenced those who were suggesting his days at Liverpool were numbered a few weeks ago, hasn't he, Lewis? Yeah, I mean, I guess they're not. Uh, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, the goal against Spurs in the week, and then the, probably... That is an all-round performance against Palace without Salah starting as well. It's probably the best that I've seen Firmino play for quite a while now. Uh, certainly this season, or certainly since the restart, I'd, I'd probably say so. Yeah, and everyone just it, it always happens that there's a new flavour of the month, and Yota mm-hmm. comes in and starts scoring goals, and everyone's looking at that front three saying, "Oh well, you've got to drop one of them." Then it's like, well, it's just good to have four, isn't it? Yeah. Like, if you can, if you can not have to be forced to play all three of them in every single game, which is last couple of seasons um, then it's a blessing for Klopp it's not a it's a headache obviously to for any given game to to pick three out of four but it's one that will be very very happy to have yeah I think what what often gets lost from the debate about Roberto Firmino is alright he's not the most prolific goal scorer but Liverpool don't need more goals do they they've got plenty of goals they, they, you wouldn't have said it was a problem for them over the summer so you know he, him and Jota can share that position perfectly well I think uh, we had a question via email from Chrissy C who says what do you make of Salah's interview with Ass and his comments on the situation at Liverpool and a possible move away I mean I personally find it a bit confusing I can't understand why anyone would want to leave Liverpool at this moment in time what what What's your thoughts on that, Padraig? I thought it was... Um, I didn't think he said anything that that worrying. I think it's just, if you're a Liverpool fan and you love him and he's like your best player, then you're maybe going to read a little more into it than there was. Because like, from the outside reading it, that doesn't bother me where most Salah plays. I just want to watch him playing football, mm. whatever it is. I, I just thought he was... Yeah, he was just kind of hinting that that if the club wanted to stay, I, my reading of it was that he's he's happy enough to stay because he went a bit deeper. I think later on in the interview and talked about how driven he is that he wants to like smash all these different like club records that Liverpool have and stuff. And you see that definitely from plenty of other interviews he's done. Like, and he gets accused of that being quite a a selfish player, and he'll maybe put his own statistics and individual honours and stuff maybe ahead of, of the the team at times and. You could see that when he went on further talking about how he wants to be remembered as like the greatest goal scorer, the greatest attacker, whatever that I mean, probably not gonna happen, but that Liverpool have ever had. So yeah, I don't think uh, there's too much reason to worry. If anything, it was maybe just letting them know, you know, um I may be twenty eight. I think he's got three years left on his, his contract, maybe just gonna get um another nice good contract out of Liverpool, which I mean he's earned and he's merited it so yeah 
don't don't worry too much, I wouldn't think. Yeah, all power to him, I suppose. Um, well, as good as Liverpool were here, Palace were a shambles, and Roy Hodgson seems to be sort of laughing and joking with with Klopp at the final whistle, which I found a bit weird. Did you find that a bit weird too, to Lewis, or is that just kind of how a elder statesman of football is supposed to react to a seven nil defeat? Klopp's <laughs> uh, a funny guy as well. You never know what he said. True, yeah. Um, <laughs> try and suppress the chuckles, uh, <laughs> just because some Palace fans might not like. If I'm a Palace fan, I'm definitely not happy seeing the yeah. manager sort of in a in a relaxed kind of mood in any sort of way certainly not laughing with the opposition manager um, after a game like that but I think Hodgson was pretty harsh on not harsh as in like you know they didn't deserve it but mm. he was um, he was quite blunt when he talked about the game after the game in the interview and in the press conference and I think that, I think that's all it needs really like I, I don't I would, like we we do focus on these things a little bit sometimes and I'm just and you do think like well it's not going to make any difference to Palace's next game if Hodgson sort of has a little laugh with Klopp at the end of the game or not. Like as long as they're going into training and working on what they need to work on, and he's taking that seriously, then you know, in the, in the long run, it doesn't really mean much. Mm. I had this game on in the background while I was sort of doing something else on Saturday, and every time it seemed every time I looked at the screen, Liverpool had scored again. So it got to the point where I had to stop looking because it probably would have been about fourteen nil if I'd carried on there watching. Yeah, I, think I was watching it with the volume down. It was, yeah. that, it was just on the background, and I kept just kept missing goals as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it was the same Old Trafford on Sunday where Manchester United won 6-2 against Leeds. That means they're third with a game in hand. Um, that's the first time they've scored six in a Premier League game since the 8-2 win over Arsenal in August 2011, which I'm sure you remember fondly, Lewis. Um <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe not. Uh, we, we've we've slagged Ole Gunnar Solskjaer off a lot this season, so I think it's time we gave him some credit. You know, it's Christmas and all that. So what specifically do you think he deserves credit for, Podrick, if anything? I don't know, Dan. So yeah, I'm quite reluctant to, because, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, I think that game at the weekend, like Leeds really did play into United. So like, that suits. We've seen it. If there's one thing we've seen, I think, in the two years that Solskjaer's been there, it's that if a team goes at United, then they they really do have the ability to, to hurt you on the break. They've got so many quick players, so many intelligent players on the ball that can move it into that final third and do damage quick. And Le- Leeds, credit to them, I mean, that's the way they play. They, they went at Man United and if they'd taken their chances, or maybe it could have been different, but if they hadn't, it was only going to end one way and that that's kind of the way it went. But it, like it's not that long ago that... Um, and they get knocked out of the Champions League, and that was you kind of felt like right. That's that's surely going to be it now. And since then, I mean, they've had that the Derby game, which was just an awful game of football. And mm. then Sheffield United, fair play, they won, but they kind of made it a little more difficult than it should have been at times. And then, like I said, yeah, this one, I just thought that game suited uh, Man United quite nicely. So I'm. I mean, they are doing well, and, <laughs> but yeah, just relax. You just think what what maybe could be with that squad, um, with a, a competent or a competent maybe harsh, but a, a real elite level coach. That didn't sound like credit to me, Padraig. You know I know. That. I'm sorry. I mean, if you if you've got if you have something if you've seen something well, in them, Dan, that you want to give them. I mean, they played some lovely football against Sheffield United and Leeds. I thought. Uh, do we give cre- yeah. do we give Solskjaer some credit for the team he's built? Maybe. 
Do we give Ed, do we give Ed Woodward some credit yeah, for I mean, that? That's what I was going to say. Maybe <laughs> if you're going to for building the team, do you have to give Ed Woodward credit? But there's not enough Christmas goodwill for to go around for that. I guess I that. Think. Yeah. Well, if United win that game in hand, they could theoretically be just two points behind Liverpool. Do you think they're genuine title challengers, Liverpool, uh, Lewis, uh, Manchester United? Sorry. <laughs> What is going on? I don't know. I'm all over the show. Uh, bar humbug. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> um, I, I, yeah. United are on a good run, but I just I see no way that this team can keep up with Liverpool. Um, even if Liverpool obviously do drop some more points, I don't see United. They're obviously third right now. I don't see them as better than all those other teams around them. I don't think they've got yeah. a better chance than anyone else there. Mm. Chelsea and, and Leicester and City of putting a big run together and challenging Liverpool in the long run. I just think you see, you look at the run they're on and it's that same problem again. Like we talk, we've talked so many times about, you know, they play PSG and it's fine because PSG want to play football and United can rip them apart on the break. And that's sort of what happened to Leeds because you know that Leeds will just play the same way no matter who they're playing against and they want to go out and they want to attack. And that's why Solskjaer's had, you know, he's got the game plan for those games nailed and he's got the players to carry it out as well. It's the other games. It's like even this run they're on that's good at the moment. They beat West Brom 1-0 thanks to a penalty. They were poor, I thought, against West Ham. And, and individual quality and a ball going off the pitch but there not being a camera to see it mm. ended up rescuing them and uh, and even against Sheffield United when they played pretty well they even then went 1-0 down and then had a very nervy end to the game where it could have been 3-0 so I just don't see enough in the in the United side I just don't think they're not I don't think they're made to win the games they should win often enough to to put a long enough run together to compete yeah fair enough yeah well Scott McTominay became the first player to score twice inside the first three minutes of a Premier League match here and um, there's a bit of snobbishness about him I find but he is a really good player isn't he Podrick you know the, you're the uh, you're the Scotsman on this podcast perhaps you can testify to that yes thank you Dan honestly <laughs> I'm not joking he's my favourite player in the Premier League really I just, lo- I just love him I just because like just because he's he's not he's just not all that gifted I guess and that you kind of see how much and you hear from people at Man United and people in the Scotland setup and stuff and you hear just like how hard that he, he seems to work and that he puts the grit he's just he's kind of like this generation's Darren Fletcher for like club <laughs> and country I think like I think he's better who, than Fletcher though isn't he yeah, oh yeah I would say so as well but I, I've had arguments with like people that before that, that rate and I do I rate Fletcher like really highly but I think mm. like McTominay does a lot more he's definitely um, a lot better going forward than, than Fletcher uh, than Fletcher was I always thought Fletcher kind of didn't really score enough goals um, but I mean that's not obviously what McTominay's game is but yeah I just yeah I really like it and I think he just he kind of goes goes under the radar even in that Man United team a bit but I always think in those games where where he starts and it kind of means that a, a Pogba or a Van de Beek or whoever it might be this season isn't isn't getting the chance that but I'm always just a bit more confident watching Man United that mm. um, that they, they won't struggle as much in the game just when he's in there I think he gives you that and Fred as well I think kinda, I think he's he's got a bit, bit of a rough ride of it at times mm. probably harshly but yes I agree Dan definitely 
Definitely in the Scott McTominay fan. Club. Yeah, I think he suffers from a bit of the Sam Aladicio thing. I think if he was if he was like Spanish or Italian or French or something, people would be raving about him. But because he's Scottish, it's a bit unfashionable, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, um, and the fact he plays centre back as well for Scotland, which is mm. which is also quite a. It shows that he's he's not just this generic kind of run about, do a lot of defensive hard work midfielder, you know, he's, he is, he's a really intelligent player. And he's keeping Donny van der Beek out of the United team, which is which is no mean feat, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bruno Fernandes has now been directly involved in 28 goals in 27 Premier League games. Do you think he's been the best player in the league since he joined United, Lewis? Oh, that's a... I think he's been the most influential player in the league since he joined United. Am I allowed to sort of Sure. Skirt around the question. Yeah, yeah. Move the goalposts. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think. I think De Bruyne and you know Human Son and Salah. Obviously, I think maybe because Bruno Fernandez is new, we're sort of not used to to this yet. And with those guys, we're sort of so used to how good they are that maybe we don't appreciate them um, enough anymore, or or as as much as we should sometimes. But I don't think anyone in the Premier League over the last 12 months has had the influence on a team as much as, as Bruno Fernandes does. I mm. think, you know, and that goes with, go, you know, that goes with, in hand with the, the squads that these guys play for, um, or play with. And, you know, without Son, Spurs have Kane and, and without De Bruyne, City have Sterling and, and Mares and, Bernardo when he's on his game to sort of carry the side a little bit instead and provide a bit of what they're missing without him United have just got absolutely nothing else like Bruno Fernandes or they didn't at least until they signed him Um, Donny van der Beek now maybe kind of is that but we haven't seen it because Bruno Fernandes hasn't been injured so Mm. van der Beek just doesn't play Um, so I think he's been absolutely transformative um, for the club and it just goes to show sometimes what one guy can sort of do to to lift the level of the mm. team and get more of it out of other players as well because I think the likes of Martial and Rashford and Greenwood have all looked so much better since he arrived um, and so often people want to say that players are maybe bad players and it's like well if they're just being used properly and with other good teammates around them, then they can, you know, raise their game to that level as well. Mm. I think he gets this uh, Bruno Penandes thing as well, which you know he does score a lot of penalties, doesn't he? he? Does United get a lot of penalties. penalties, but I think I read that he scored five goals from open play this season, which is more than any other midfielder in the Premier League. So it's not just penalties, I guess. Uh, this result leaves Leeds just seven points above the relegation zone in 14th. They had 17 attempts on goal here, but they've now conceded 30 goals this season, which is the most in the league. Uh, do you think Marcelo Bielsa is a bit naive defensively, Podrick? No, I don't. I, I, honestly, I just I think we just have to take Bielsa for what it is. I mean, you can criticise them for for being like poor defensively, especially like set pieces, stuff like that. They're, they're really suspect, mm. but I mean. That's just Nobody. it's just what you get. You, you, I mean, you want all that exciting attacking football. I guess that's Nobody what you sacrifice. Like Burnley or below Leeds, nobody ever says is Sean Dyche naive offensively. (laughs) 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 Do you know what I mean though? It's like if if you sit back and you lose, it's like, oh damn, they've got better players. But then if you throw everything forward and you lose, it's like, oh pathetic, he should be a coward and just part of the bus. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned it there, Podrick. 14 of the goals they've conceded this season have come from set pieces, which is more than any other team in the league. Lewis, do you think it's maybe time to go back to basics and work on the real meat and potatoes aspect of, of English football? Coming over <laughs> here with your fancy ideas? Nah, let him do what he's doing. I love it. <laughs> 
Yeah, fair like, enough. What, tw- 24 goals. They've not been in the Premier League for 16 years. They're, um, like, they're having the time of their lives. Yeah, they're going to yeah. stay yeah. up. I'm, like, <laughs> I think they're way too good. Um, I think they're like not, you know, not talent-wise, and that makes it all the more impressive. Um, uh, but they're, they're playing too well to go down. There are definitely three worst teams, and I'd say there are probably five or six worst teams in the division than Leeds mm. this season. Um, and I think that's, I think that's fine. I think you saw, um, you see Sheffield United now and Burnley. I think there are a lot of teams that come up and play defensive football, and it's, it might keep you up for a year but then it doesn't give you anything to build on it's so hard to move away from that style I think if Leeds can stay up playing this style of football all you've got to do I mean sounds make it sound really simple but all they've got to do is add quality in in different areas of the pitch and the they can just keep to the same style of football and add sort of you know a couple of players each summer that improves the 11 and they'll fly up the table as well so you reckon maybe a bit of uh, improvement in their sort of defensive personnel and that'll be it that'll be all they need really yeah, and I think like I think you look at Liverpool and without Van Dijk, like we're saying, and Leeds when Leeds are sort of similar, right? And they want to press high and play really aggressively. And I think you see with Van Dijk out at the moment, it sometimes doesn't even matter who the defenders are, as long as the pressing you get it right. Like obviously, if you charge upfield and you get it wrong, which is obviously what Leeds did at Old Trafford the other day, then you're kind of screwed, and the defenders are just sort of left to fend for themselves. But you see Liverpool the last few weeks, and even without Van Dijk, they've moved the issue by mate just making sure that whoever's playing in defence doesn't really have much to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's sort of the biggest thing that I would see like Leeds being able to improve quite quickly on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, almost a year to the day since Mikel Arteta and Carlo Ancelotti were both appointed. Arsenal were beaten 2-1 by Everton at Goodison Park on Saturday. It's been a miserable time to be an Arsenal fan, I'm sure, Lewis. Did you see anything here that gave you any encouragement that, that Arsenal could turn things around soon? I mean, Arteta was saying that he was pleased by the reaction in the dressing room after the game. Is that Does that make you feel any better? No. <laughs> <laughs> Um, maybe they can get that reaction out on the pitch next time. Yeah. Nice. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was. Uh, I do think the the worst thing about watching Arsenal at the moment, um, and it's a crowded field, is that <laughs> it doesn't feel like the other team has to do particularly much. Mm-hmm. Uh, Everton, obviously, the, f- the first goal on on Saturday was an own goal and then the second one's just come from a corner right on half time and then the second half Evan didn't have to do anything and Spurs were the same sort of a two counter attacks and they scored twice and and that's the game because people know that Arsenal are really really struggling to create anything uh, to you know just sort of let them have the ball and sit back and they won't really do anything to hurt you that's sort of been the pattern of play so far this season I think mm. it's the like one win in ten games. I think that ten that's also the only game that Arsenal even had the lead in the last ten games in the Premier League. Um, I'd love to see them go in front and see if they can hold on to the lead <laughs> themselves because I don't think they're terrible defensively. Uh, it's going forward. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a bit grim to watch in the minute. Yeah, well, they've got Chelsea to come on Boxing Day and then Brighton, West Brom and Crystal Palace in the next three after that. Are we looking at some season-defining fixtures there, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think Newcastle's the one after that as well. Mm. Um, so you're looking at sort of, yeah, Chelsea on Boxing Day and then the next four league games are all against teams in the bottom half. I think we'll, like, you can't be, you've got to be humble about it at this point and say that Arsenal right now are in a relegation battle. Mm. Um, four, 
points, I think, from from the bottom three. Yeah. West Brom have obviously changed manager. Fulham have looked better the last few weeks. From what I've seen, I feel like Brighton just haven't really had the rub of the green in a lot of games so far this season. So there are teams down there, that, like Arteta is saying that Arsenal have been playing a bit better and they deserve a bit more. But there are other teams down there that are sort of in the same boat, I'd say. Um, yeah, Chelsea, I think it's really hard as an Arsenal fan because you, you've got to say like, you play Chelsea and you want to win and you're playing Chelsea at home and you think, yeah, that's sort of, that's our level. That's who we're competing with. Mm. You've got to turn around and say on Boxing Day that it would be a surprise if Chelsea didn't win. And it's those three or four games that come after that that are going to decide whether or not Arsenal end up probably somewhere in mid-table come the end of the season or actually scrapping for their lives. Yeah. Do you think Arteta's scrapping for his life? I mean, how many, how many points do you think he might need from those, let's say, those next four games for his, for his job to be safe again? Yeah, I think there's there's they clearly really want to be patient and they really don't want to sack him. And you can understand why. But at some point, they're not going to have a choice. Like, I don't know. The big question right now for me that I've been wondering the last few games is what is that point? Is it if Arsenal actually drop into the bottom three or is it if we get to a certain number of games and relegation is still a threat? I think it's really difficult to try and figure out what what might be sort of the, the straw that broke the camel's back for the board. I do think if, yeah, we, those games going into the new year, as you said, West Brom, Palace, um, Brighton. If Arsenal don't win one or two of those at least, then I don't think they're going to have much choice eventually. Yeah, I suppose the other question is if, you know, having invested so much into this kind of, for want of a better word, philosophy of Arteta's and bought players to kind of suit that, if you were to sack him mid-season with the, the club really struggling, then who do you get in that's going to kind of turn things around with that group of players? Do you, do you get like a firefighting appointment short term? Or Big you... Sam's already taken. Exactly, yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's a, it's a tr- uh, tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And it's it's even stranger because what Arteta has actually done well so far in, in his year in charge was that the club was sort of in crisis mode when he took over from Unai Emery and, and then Freddie Lundberg's interim. And he fended off that crisis and then it was sort of building something on that the where he fell down but yeah you're really going to have to probably look at if it gets to a point where it's so bad that they actually decide to sack him you're going to have to look at getting another coach in who can sort of yeah fend off the crisis and turn the tide um which just makes it all the more tricky because it is actually the thing that Arteta managed to do in his 12 Mm. months so far right at the beginning Arsene Wenger's available you said it, not me. <laughs> I think Allegri keeps like fluttering his eyelashes at every uh, Premier League team that seems to be struggling as well. And we'll you kind of forget. We all get desperate there. when we've been out of work for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Pochettino will be at it next. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, that result means Everton beat Chelsea, Leicester, and Arsenal in the space of seven days, leaving them fourth in the league. It's the first time they've been in the top four at Christmas since the 2004 5 season. Do you think we could actually be looking at, if not title challengers, then, then challengers for the top four here, Podrick? Oh yeah, I think top four. I, honestly, like watching Everton now, I think if the season ends and we don't know what's going to happen, I mean, all it might take is you know Calvert Lewin get a serious injury, something like that, and it could, you know, it could all go could all go wrong. But you'd look at it now and you would think Everton would be disappointed if they don't 
end up the season in the top four when they just look at what's kind of around them and it's it's kind of open for the likes of them and Leicester as well who I mean they really should have finished in the top four last season only for that collapse so like, the likes of those teams even Tottenham kind of come back in Southampton will probably fancy their mm. chances there's a lot of teams but Everton are kind of one of the one of the best most consistent of the bunch as well I think um, it would be asking an awful lot of them to to mount a, a challenge for the title although that would be would be quite fun Um uh, a Merseyside title battle but yeah. I mean yeah top four I think is well within that squad's reach yeah Ben Godfrey I was really impressed with him he had an excellent game at left back here um, he's looked like a really good signing for them hasn't he you know he's a, he's a centre back by trade but he's he's versatile yeah and they kind of I think Norwich done quite well out of that that they they, came, they named their price to Everton I think it took till deadline day didn't it when Everton mm. eventually had to, to settle for it and, and pay up the, the 25 million I think it could could even rise higher and you do think like that was quite a risk I, I think at the time because as good as Godfrey looked I mean he wasn't the only one who looked really good in that Norwich team last season but some of them have gone back down to the championship that didn't leave and um, and have not really kind of adapted to the to going back down but Godfrey's kind of Everton took that risk and he's he's fitted in really well I did wince a little bit the, the tackle on Ceballos because you yeah. just think there's sometimes like these days. I mean, I thought it was a it was a good fair challenge, but you do kind of think these that you never know quite the way it's going to go. Mm. But yeah, especially like a centre back, you're saying by trade, and he's he's had to fill in at left back. You're never done done really well, looking a really good sign. And he's only I think he's only twenty two still. Yeah. So I mean, plenty plenty of improvement. Mm. Crazy stats come out of this game. Each of Yerry Mina's last four goals have come in the forty fifth minute of matches. How's he managed that? It is, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Chelsea ended their mini slump when they beat West Ham to go fifth in the table on Monday night. Timo Werner missed an absolute sitter in this game. Well, a couple of sitters, really. He's now got eight games without a goal. Do you think it's fair to say his Chelsea career has been a bit underwhelming so far, Lewis? Yeah, I feel like Frank Lampard hit a Kai Havertz as well. I feel like Lampard hasn't really figured out how he wants to use them. So, like, Werner always played up front for Leipzig last season and in a front two pretty much exclusively and now suddenly he's playing on the left wing and he's just not sort of I'd probably compare him a little bit to to Aubameyang and we've obviously seen Aubameyang score a lot of goals coming in from that left hand side over the past couple of years but he's just to me he's a penalty box striker he's a quick Mm. penalty box striker he's not much of a dribbler he's quite I'd say fairly right footed and not not too much of a worry like when you watch Son and you never know which side he's going to go on I don't ever get that feeling with Werner yeah I'd like I would just he's just a player that I would just put as close to the goal as possible and chances will make their way to him and especially when you've got Tammy Abraham like mm. you know you've got the option there to stick both of them up front together or next to Olivier Giroud obviously as well and yeah so I, I see him as sort of yeah that Michael Owen type penalty area striker and he's just not being used like it at all and I just don't think it suits him yeah well they've got it's like you're playing FIFA in it and you just want you want to fit like the fast guy into the team (laughs) I'll put him out wide it's like exactly like Lewis the same with Obama Yang as well it's it's kind of like the easy the easy fit that you just Mm. you can move him and like Lewis is saying it's crazy just because he's quick that it's oh yeah he can I can move him around when yeah, penalty box striker all day long. So is that is that the the solution for you, Podrick? You play two up top, play him alongside Abraham or Giroud. 
Yeah, probably, yeah. I th- and I think Tammy Abraham's not done a lot wrong. I saw like a lot of Chelsea fans before the game uh, on Monday night were kind of complaining a bit. And maybe, fair enough, I mean, Giroud has been really good form recently, but they were didn't seem particularly happy that, that Tammy Abraham was, was getting a goal. But, I mean, like Werner was really struggling, missed some good chances, and Abraham, the two that came his way, you know, stuck them away. No, I think he's scored more than any other Chelsea player um, in the league since Lampard took over. Mm. So, yeah, I think he gets a bit of a a bit of a rough time even among Chelsea fans. I think he's uh, quality. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't me get too. That. Uh, yeah. I think it's. I don't know. It just always seems to be like the the homegrown ones that that always kind of cop it a mm. little bit more. Yeah. Scott McTominay all over again, isn't it, basically? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, Sebastian Allaire scored a goal of the season contender against Crystal Palace last week, but West Ham were a bit toothless here. They failed to register a shot on target at Stamford Bridge. Um, they've missed Mikel Antonio for a while now. Lewis, do you think it's really catching up with them? Yeah, and even the back end of last season, we saw that Antonio, it was him and his goals that sort of fueled them to to stay up quite comfortably in the end and it looked like they were going to be in a relegation battle when when we came back from the restart he's just the most reliable I'd say probably source of goals in that West Ham side and I think you've got a lot of good players in there you've got Ben Rama you've got Jared Bowen and Sebastian Allaire but Antonio's the only one that I'd back to sort of definitely get 10, 12, 15 goals a season and it is just going to catch up with you at some point. Mm. Declan Rice is a player Chelsea have been linked with for a while now. Um, Padre, do you think they might swoop for him in January and, and would he actually improve them? I don't think he's, he's he's what they need or that West Ham would let him go. But mm. I mean, uh, there's another one that, that Chelsea fans don't seem all that enamoured with is Jorginho. Um, yeah. He's really, and I think that maybe it's fair enough, but I also do think there's there is a really good player um, in there. I, I don't know that they they quite need need race in that team yet. I think because like Lewis was mentioned earlier, but Lampard's still kind of figuring out where um, where Werner goes. He's got Pulisic, he's got Ziyech as well. Come in, he's like all those kind of attacking players, and that's that's going to have a knock on effect even on on how he sets up that midfield. So I think until Till Lampard really figures out uh, what exactly his best team and what his best system is going to be, probably shouldn't be given any more Christmas presents he's given <laughs> enough uh, in the summer that he's still kind of tinkering around. Yeah, it. true, true. <laughs> Manchester City navigated a tricky test when they won 1-0 at Southampton on Saturday. That result leaves City with the best defensive record in the league this season, but they've also scored just 19 goals in 13 games. It feels to me like Pep Guardiola's solved one problem but created a much bigger one. <laughs> yeah. How do you think they become a more balanced side, Lewis? Um, I don't know. Um, if Pep Guardiola... And neither does he, yeah. So. No, he doesn't know what chance have I got. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I've seen a few people mention that which I think is quite an interesting theory, like the art that um, Guardiola is. This is sort of a a tactic that can win you the Champions League and keep games tight, avoid any you know any being blown away by the counter attack mm. situations like City have had in the Champions League the last few years that's cost them, and just be a little bit more less gung ho, more boring, if you like. Like you see the the draw against United. Uh, a couple of weeks ago if that's the sort of yeah the new big game approach for for Guardiola and yeah maybe it's a, a style of football that can not win the league but can win the Champions League mm. or, or gives you a better chance of winning the Champions League so 
I, don't, I guess at this point, at least for a year, every City fan would take that. Um, and I'm sure, I think it's pretty clear, like if that's what the idea is, that Guardiola would take it too. So, yeah, I, it's it's a weird one because obviously we're just so used to judging on the league and that's that's your bread and butter and that's what you sit down and watch 38 games of every season. So that's where we sort of say that's the true measure of a side. But if he thinks that this is a, a way to sort of increase City's chances in Europe, then I can see why he's doing it as mm. well. No, I never thought about it like that. That's that's interesting, actually. I, mean, I, I think probably the the solution to City's attacking problems is, I mean, they, they, they've they've been without Gabriel, uh, they've been without Sergio Aguero for pretty much the whole season. Um, Gabriel Jesus has kind of shown during this time that I don't think he's an able deputy. He wasn't playing against Southampton at the weekend, so they essentially played without a, a striker. I think they need a new star striker basically to kind of come and strike fear into opponents' hearts. I think they've become yeah. a bit stale. The one thing that like I've thought probably like a season or so now is like I've just not been that impressed by Rodri Mm. and I wonder if like when you play with Rodri and Gundogan they're basically jointly sort of doing the job that that Fernandinho used to manage to do on his own and and obviously back then City would play with Silva and De Bruyne either side of Fernandinho and I just if there's one player that I wondered if and it, obviously you can't just say oh just go sign another Fernandinho like it doesn't work like that you, it's hard to find yeah. one you don't know how they fit into a team and that sort of thing obviously as well but if City had that sort of younger version of Fernandinho again playing at the base of the midfield then I do wonder if Guardiola would feel like that could free him up to use a, an extra more attacking player mm. uh, akin to, to that like 100 point season yeah, true. I think the difficulty they're having in replacing these players just shows how incredibly spoiled they've been having them over the years. Yeah. You know, Fernandinho, Aguero, David Silva, company, players that are just so difficult to replace that they probably never realised yeah. how hard it would be. Uh, but a lot of City fans have been incredibly impressed with John Stones' revival this season. Are you surprised to see him back in the team and playing so well, Podrick? Because I am. I'm honestly shocked. I thought he would, he'd probably never play for Man City again mm. unless it's like a dead rubber um like Champions League, you know, like the sixth game of a yeah. group stage or the League Cup, because I think it's only what about a year ago that FA Cup game was it that Tom Pope off Port Vale that oh like, yeah, yeah. that he was like moaning about him before the game, and then he, if I get a chance to, and then he ended up scoring. I don't think they took it too well that he came into the dressing room. And oh stuff yeah, like yeah, that. that's true. Yeah. But you see, like stuff, he was pretty much a laughing stock like a year ago, and then. Then in the summer, after they've spent big money on two centre backs as well, mm. you, you mean you think that's him? He's at the bottom of the pecking order, sort of that. Yeah, I really thought or, like that it was going to have to be that he would go maybe back, to, I mean, not to Everton, but you know that he could do a job for a team like mm. that. Definitely a, a top half of the table's team. But yeah, since he's come back in, really, really good. And that must be must have been so hard for him as well. Like you know, your confidence probably on the floor after. After all that, and to come back in with real quality competition uh, for his place, like fair play to him. Yeah, the maddest thing is everyone was saying last season that City was so poor because Laporte was injured, and it just shows how important Laporte is. He's City's Van Dijk mm. and all this kind of thing. He, he's fit now, and he can't even get a game. <laughs> it's just <laughs> mad. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I was going to ask you, Lewis. They've got Stones, Laporte, Diaz, and Ake there. If you're if you're Guardiola, what do you consider your best combination of those two of those four at, the, at this moment in time? Right, I'm like you too. I'm really happy to see John Stones playing and playing well again because I'm a big fan. Like I, I always thought he's been a bit, 
his reputation's been a bit harsh um, just because he's made a couple of mistakes like which defender doesn't uh, and people forget how important he was or how often he played when City were winning back-to-back titles um, so right now you'd have to say him and Laporte, Diaz I, I like both of them I think, I think mm-hmm. you've got Ake I think is a, is a perfectly fine centre-back for the squad as well um, but I don't think you can really go too wrong with with two of Stones, Diaz, and and Laporte there. Mm, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and at the other end, Southampton have got themselves a really good defender in Yannick Vestergaard. Do you think uh, some of the big boys might be sniffing around him before long, Podrick? Do you think Liverpool might uh, reopen their supply lines to Southampton? Yeah, that actually, yeah, I didn't think of that. It could be a could be a good option, and then Southampton will open theirs back to Celtic and take <laughs> someone away from us, no yeah. doubt. But. Yeah, I did see someone actually just on Twitter this morning, a friend of mine was saying, I think he was as- answering a question about who the most underrated player in the Premier League is. He said he would have said Vestergaard until a few weeks ago, but then people have started to really praise him now, so he's like, he can't be underrated anymore. Yeah. But, I mean, they get, yeah, he's a quality, quality player. Yeah, uh, Southampton drew with 10-man Arsenal in midweek and lost to City having failed to score for the first time since the first game of the season given how well they've been playing do you think they should be a little bit disappointed with those results Lewis bit of a missed opportunity for them yeah I think they will be a little bit but I also think at the same time it's the best time for disappointment right like mm. when you've drawn at Arsenal even this Arsenal um, <laughs> you've drawn at Arsenal and then narrowly lost to Man City and like damn now we're not in the Champions League places anymore uh, I don't think Many people expected Southampton to be in that fight to start with at the beginning of the season. So they'll be annoyed, but they'll have their eyes on sort of, I'd say, simpler fixtures. And they've got Fulham on Boxing Day. Um, I don't know who they've got after that, but that's where they'll sort of be looking at picking up those points, games that they'll actually go into as favourites and, mm. and keep their really good season going. Not many people expected them to be in that fight, but you called it, didn't you? Before the I season, did. I didn't want to point that out. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and well, you were laughed at when you said Sheffield United were terrible. And exactly. Located, so. <laughs> Even a stop clock is twice is right twice a day, as they say. You know, <laughs> uh, Leicester are up to second in the table, and Tottenham are down to fifth after Brendan Rodgers' side won two 0 in North London on Sunday. Padre, can you explain to me how a team that's lost five games this season is second in the league? I think it's only because they're the only team in the league who haven't drawn pretty yeah, much. Yeah. So it's literally every game that they've not lost, they've uh, they've won it. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> it's just mathematics. Yeah, right? basically. Stat, yeah, yeah, yeah. Stats guy. I mean, do you think the table feels particularly weird this season because the season started late and we just kind of can't compute in our minds that it's nearly yeah, Christmas, but we've only played yeah, 14 that, games? That is, I do think that is, there is a part of it that, I mean, if you weren't looking at the table on a regular basis and somebody said to you, oh, name, name me the top, Six top eight. I, I mean, I think you would struggle because because of how long the football went through the summer, and then it didn't seem like we got much of a break. Then it came back, and there's times you you think back to games maybe in like the end of July, start of August, and you think, oh, was that was that last season? Oh, that, that feels like this season. I've noticed myself done it a few times as well. Yeah. So I think there is a thing where it kind of melds all into one uh, a little bit. But I th- yeah, it's it's just been. Crazy, crazy year. Yep. Well, Leicester took the lead on the stroke of half-time here with a Jamie Vardy penalty after Serge Aurier needlessly fouled uh, Wesley Fofana in the box. Do you think Aurier deserved an air-bashing from Mourinho for that one, Lewis? I think he deserved one from pretty much everybody. <laughs> like, I'd be surprised if he didn't get one from anyone in that dressing room. But yeah. that was, it, it was just so dumb. Like 
some penalties you sort of think like, oh, the guy's probably going to score anyway or something. But Fofana's in the corner of the box, running out towards the touchline with a ball that he hasn't actually even got under control. And Aurea's just run straight into the back of him. It made <laughs> no sense. Yeah, and he's got a bit of a rep for that kind of thing, hasn't he? Which is uh, yeah. a bit of a shame, yeah. That's just one win in the last five for Spurs now, although, you know, admittedly they have had a, a pretty tough run of fixtures. Where do you think it's went wrong for them in the last couple of games, Podrig? And, and does it suggest that they're not quite ready to challenge for the title yet? Um, I don't know. I think, I think they've been unlucky enough in some of them. And you look at just the last two games alone that they've lost, um, it's against the top two in the league. So, yeah. And the Liverpool one... <laughs> I mean, there was a lot said and talked about about that one, but I mean, I did think that was a little harsh on them uh, not to come out of that with something. The Palace one, they probably will be kicking themselves uh, not to get that one over the line. But I mean, the last two games, you can't be too critical on them not not beating uh, the two teams that are sitting in the top two. And they did have their chances as well. Um, against Leicester, I thought Schmeichel made some good saves. They were quite unlucky at times and then just a few a few daft errors as well although that Madison one I, did, I really even when you see that back on VR I'm still struggling to work <laughs> out how that was offside but so they could also have lost by more but um, I think they'll still be in there I still think they'll be in the shake up because I think they'll they'll put together another good run of games and as much as Mourinho keeps talking about um, how they're not built to win the league and all this stuff I, you Quite certain he's singing a different uh, from a different hymn sheet mm-hmm. behind closed doors. It's just a pity there'll be no season two of uh, of the documentary. I know, yeah, yeah. That we can find out if, if he is actually. <laughs> well, it's interesting. Everyone sort of criticised Mourinho a little, well, a little bit after the the Spurs game because they only had twenty four percent possession, and with that possession they created they had eight shots on goal, two on target. Against Leicester, they had fifty seven percent possession. They had eight shots on goal, three shots on target. So it just shows that the possession isn't really that relevant to them, isn't it? Really, yeah. Lewis, are you surprised that Gareth Bale still doesn't appear to be up to speed yet? Is it possible that he's sort of reached that point in his career where he's lost a bit of explosiveness and is never going to get it back? Yeah, and I think you think of all the injuries that he's had as well. I just think that's sort of who Gareth Bale is now as a player. He's just, yeah, he's just not the player that he was. Um, I, I really think it's that simple. It's that straightforward. And you see, even a couple of years ago, two, three years ago, he was still regularly scoring goals for Real Madrid or providing assists. And that sort of stopped last season. He got two goals in La Liga. And obviously he was out of favour towards the end of it, but I think he still played like 14 or 15 games and got 12 goals, um, at least 14, 15, maybe up to like 20 games or so. Yeah, I just think... I can understand why there was so much fanfare when when he returned, obviously being a, a bit of a legend at Spurs, but I just don't think he's got it in him to really deliver much more than this anymore. And he... You can talk about the the speed of the Premier League and stuff as well, but he also played in all the Europa League games and he only got mm-hmm. one goal in the in the group stage there. And I think he started all those games too. So, yeah, I, it's just a just a shadow of his former self, I think. Yeah, he came out at half time against Leicester. I just thought I didn't expect him to really bring anything to the table, and he didn't really, did he? It's a bit I of a like shame. Every time he got the ball. He, I don't remember one time that he tried to go past anyone, mm. and it just felt like he would sort of play a simple ball inside and then jog towards the box and yeah. sort of stand there waiting for it to arrive. Yeah, it yeah. never did. Yeah. 
Well, despite their foibles, Leicester are second at Christmas for the second successive year with Manchester United to come in their next game. Right, let's have a half-term prediction from... Well, it's sort of half-term. Let's have a half-term prediction from you both. Who will finish first and who will finish second this season? Podrick, you can go first. Um, I think Liverpool first and I'm really, really struggling on second, but I'll say Everton. Oh, Lewis? Uh, I think we will have another Liverpool Man City one too. Yeah, I think that too. I think I think City will finish quite a distant second again. Perhaps not quite as distant as last season, but yeah, I think I think Liverpool are going to win it, aren't they? I just think the the other teams there as well behind, like you know, there's that group of like five or six teams behind Liverpool now. City are the only ones that I could see like you know winning six or seven or eight games in a row and, and not dropping many points yeah. and going on a run like that. I think everybody else is just, their squads aren't big enough in this ridiculous condensed season and the quality that they just don't have the same quality quite that City have to, yeah. to keep up a run like that. Agreed, yeah. yeah. Well, Burnley pulled off an impressive 2-1 win over Wolves on Monday night. That's now just one defeat in their last seven games for the Clarets. I would have pegged them as contenders for relegation a few weeks back, but things are looking much rosier now. Do you fancy them to stay up, Lewis? I don't know. Um... <laughs> that offensively naive manager. Yeah, you, there you go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely don't know. I feel like no, I feel like I've no idea what's going to happen at that end of the table. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, like Fulham, Brighton. Like I said earlier, I feel like any of those teams could just suddenly something will click and they could win three or four games in a in the space of a month or something. And then it just gets turned upside down. Even Sheffield United, like you look at the table and it's just they're on two points, but they're only a few wins away from from actually sort of getting themselves into a position where they could fight. And, and try and stay up but mm. I find it so hard to call down there yeah well Burnley are on the verge of being taken over by a, U, uh, a company run by a US based businessman called Alan Pace which is a great name I think it sounds like something from Roy of the Rovers doesn't it <laughs> that's exactly what I thought as well <laughs> <laughs> and I think if, if that goes through before the end of January there's talk of a, a, a January spending spree which I think they're, they're long overdue so that might propel them up the table a little bit uh, Wolves on the other hand have made their best start to a season for 41 years before this game but they're 11th in the table after 14 games do you think they should be a bit disappointed with that Patrick given you know how the likes of Southampton and Everton have all sort of pushed for top four yeah maybe but I mean they they did go quite far into Europe I think they played pretty much 12 months non-stop the yeah. European campaign had started well like, there, there was a July. pretty big stop wasn't there <laughs> well yeah I know but you know what I mean like they're kind of they're always it's not as if they're doing nothing for for those three and then they've kind of squeezed a lot of games into a short period of time when they come back they don't get that long a break and then they're back again it's not the the biggest squad they lost like Matt Doherty then they've obviously lost Raul Jimenez a big blow Diogo Yota so I mean like when you look at all that and then um to think that they've they'd enjoyed like one of their best starts ever I think that's actually really impressive I don't think Wolves can actually be that disappointed with all the all the kind of things that have kind of went against them so far. Although I didn't agree with uh, with Nuno last night. I think he's not really he's not really that fired up, and he's always one of those managers who kind of talks about I'll never speak about referees, oh. I'll never speak <laughs> about the refs, and then he chose like last night's game to yeah to really go to town on on Lee Mason. I was, I was just quite surprised at it because there wasn't wasn't as if there was a lot of big decisions. Maybe mm. just in general, just a poor grasp on on the game but he certainly went 
went for them after the yeah. game. Yeah, he made some scathing comments. I was going to come on to this. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've got, I've, I'm paraphrasing here. This isn't even the full quote, but he said, Lee Mason is not good enough. It isn't about the major crucial decisions. It's about how he handles the players. Both teams are always arguing the decisions. When we saw the nomination, we did not understand it because he's a point of distraction. He worsens the flow of the game. Do you think that's fair, Lewis? Is, is Lee Mason particularly bad for that kind of thing? Uh, it's not something I've noticed. I try to just try and ignore the refs. Yeah. Any of them are very good. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a few years ago, I think I sort of, like most fans, knew most of the refs in the league. And now half the time I turn a game on, I don't know the name of the ref because I've tried to disassociate myself from it because <laughs> I just thought, you know, oh, no, we've got Mike Dean this weekend. It's like, well, yeah, but you'd react like that no matter who was the ref, wouldn't you? So... <laughs> Mike Dean, is, Mike Dean is always particularly noticeable, though. That's my... Oh, yeah. yeah. He makes sure of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> make sure he knows where the camera is. This is Mike Dean's world. We just live in it. <laughs> <laughs> well, after we joked on last week's podcast that West Brom should sack Slavon Bilic and hire Sam Allardyce, they actually went and did it. Um, Big Sam's first game in charge ended in a 3-0 defeat to Aston Villa on Sunday night. Uh, firstly, Padre, do you think West Brom were right to sack Bilic and hire Allardyce? Um, no, I think if they were going to go down that route they probably should have just done it from the start I think Hmm. I mean they kind of Bilic just seemed like a dead man walking from from the beginning of the season that they didn't back him like whatsoever and he made his like feelings about it known and then they sold Higazi out kind of from under him where he it almost seemed like he didn't know about it until the deal had had went through as far as he was concerned that he was keeping him and Ever since that, it's just kind of seemed like you've been waiting for this to come. It just was one of those situations where after Higazi went, it's like, okay, there's no way back now mm. um, for either one of them. So, I mean, if that was the way that they were going to treat this season, and I think, like, fair enough, it's, you know, you're kind of the world we're living in now. You don't know what way finances will look like, and West Brom probably quite happy to go up, have their season, and be content. Um, going straight back down. I don't think, obviously, the way they'd planned in the summer, they didn't seem to be planning for a, a long stay in the Premier League. Mm. But, I mean, if you're going to do that, then why not make that clear with Bilic from the off and, and then get Allardyce? And I'm, I'm not even sure that squad of players, even with Big Sam and all his, uh, all his, his firefighting abilities, it's, it's not a great squad at all on mm. paper and a lot of cracks in it. So I'm not even sure that even he'll be able to, to, to keep them up. I guess the timing of it was particularly strange as well, given that they battled really well in that draw with City last week. And then yeah. the next day the manager's gone and they've got a new one in. It's, uh, I mean, I was going to ask you, Lewis, do you think do you think keeping West Brom up might be the biggest challenge of Allardyce's career so far? He's, he's never been relegated from the Premier League as a manager, of course. Yeah, I think that's the I think that's the biggest challenge of it all that he hasn't ever been relegated, and I think probably each attempt it becomes that little bit more pertinent that he that's a record that he's fighting to keep, and it's also I think for him personally like four years now since he was in charge of a team in this situation. Mm. I mean, he obviously managed Everton in between, but they were never really in danger of going down. Um, but yeah, but Palace after he got the England job, I think was the last time that he actually did have a job where he had to fight to keep a team up. So I think, yeah, it's just a long time to not do this and then suddenly be be sort of parachuted back into it. And it does make me wonder if if the players are going to respond to him, if he's, like you said, got the right players. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, 
I think they could stay up. I, I definitely wouldn't bet against him, but I think it's a massive mountain to climb. Yeah, and he's never managed a team in the VAR era either, so I'm, sh- <laughs> I'm sure he's going to love that, isn't he? <laughs> I mean, I'm sure as a condition of him coming that he's been told that he'll have money to spend in January. Which areas do you think he'll look to strengthen, Podrick? What's Kevin Nolan up to these days for a start? Uh, yeah, exactly. I think, is he not assistant? coach somewhere West Ham is he West Ham yeah that was was in my head yeah it was West Ham he's on the the coaching staff so maybe he can tempt uh, Kevin Nolan yeah Uh, but I'm not even sure that they will Yuri Jokaev Pedersen yeah (laughs) but I I guess like if if they were quite willing to to lose Billich over over not spending money I'd be quite surprised if he got if he got a big a big amount to spend I mean they did obviously get Dean Gannon in the summer did seem to be the big one and he's not really not really kind of got going um, mm. in the Premier League yet. I, I think the only I think if they are gonna spend big on like, a particular area, it just I think they'll have to get a centre forward because they spent a lot of the summer kind of dragging their heels on whether to sign Carl and Grant or not, and then they've got him, but I mean it, it's just not a he's just not a proven Premier League player whatsoever. It's not gonna be the guy who's who you'd fancy, you know, to score, score the goals to keep yeah. you up, and they might only need somebody that can manage eight, nine, ten in the running. So, I mean, just someone, and I'm not, I don't even know who's, who's out there. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel Sturridge, his ban up, he can get him back or something. Maybe I don't. That would be a bad shout. Yeah, he played for them once before, hasn't he? As yeah, well, so, yeah. like maybe. Um, I like the Andy Carroll shout though. I mean, if you're going to get Andy Carroll, then you have to get Kevin Nolan. <laughs> They come as a come as a duel. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that's Villa's third three 0 away win of the season, and their best points tally after twelve games is the two thousand one two thousand two season. Uh, Lewis, do you think a top half finish is a reasonable target for them, or should they perhaps be aiming a bit higher? I think a top half finish is like more than reasonable. The, considering they just barely stayed up last season, and also considering just how close it is in the top half of the table like obviously so you say it's the best start since 2001 but I don't know if there's ever been such a condensed Premier League table with sort of I think if City win their game in hand then you've got like three points between like second and seventh or something like that which is just absurd Um, and I think Villa will sort of hope that they're knocking on that door that sort of eighth seventh door but after last year was a nerve-wracking fight to stay up on the final day I think they'd be more than happy to just comfortably sit in mid-table come April yeah I really enjoyed uh, Bertrand Troyore's goal in this game lovely side-footed finish he's got a bit under the radar this season but do you, do you see him being a big player for Villa in the new year Podrick? Uh, he could be but I think he's been quite quite frustrating so far yeah. not really I know I just don't think he's um He's going to be part of. He's ever going to be like Dean Smith's like um, favoured side because I just think there's guys ahead of him that he seems to rely on more. And when he has played, he's he's kind of shown it in flashes, but he's he's also like really frustrated. I know like I've got a really good friend who's a Villa fan. And he said he's just driven, been driven mental with him all <laughs> season when he's played because you know how good a player he is, and you've seen it before, and and you've seen it like at times at Villa, and then he just looks so out of sorts like he looks a completely different player from one game to the next so you think you can see why he's frustrated but I agree with you I really there's just something about that goal I really like so casual wasn't it yeah yeah, and he seemed to take it just a 
a split second sooner than you would have expected yeah. him in the way it just rolls in that slowly, but the keeper's still not getting anywhere near yeah. it. It was class. <laughs> uh, Newcastle rescued a point when a Callum Wilson penalty earned them a 1-1 draw with Fulham on Saturday night. A uh, bit of controversy about that penalty, though. Fulham boss Scott Parker suggested Wilson dived in the area. Uh, Joachim Anderson was also sent off for the foul. What did you make of that, Lewis? I thought it was a dive. Yeah, like there's this weird grey area between like where it's still a, it's a dive, but it might still be a foul. You know, VAR's weird with this because it seems to sort of favour just if there's contact, then it's a foul and not like whether or not it's actually a foul, like enough contact to make someone go down or impede someone. Um, yeah, and it's just, well, it's just tiring for all of us. I think. <laughs> yeah, I think it was outside the box as well, which the, the initial foul, which uh, I can understand why. why Parker was a bit frustrated, but, uh, but Fulham's goal was perhaps a bit lucky an own goal from Matt Ritchie I can't recall seeing too many own goals scored with a nose before can you Podrick? <laughs> no no I definitely can't but <laughs> it was uh, yeah you had to feel a bit bad for him <laughs> yeah I bet it hurt as well that you know yeah, you, I know, you, know, you get yeah. hit in the nose and your eyes fill with tears I bet it was yeah. one of them yeah. <laughs> yeah. right I'm going to stick my neck on the line now and say Fulham are not only going to stay up this season they're going to finish above Newcastle Anyone with me on that one? <laughs> I thought you were going to say Arsenal. <laughs> well, that's goes without saying, I think, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, if they're staying up, then yeah. yeah. Um... <laughs> I mean, Newcastle are eight points ahead of Fulham with a game in hand, so it's a pretty bold prediction for me, Ooh, but, you know. I didn't realise it was that bold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Prediction. Um, then I'm going to have to disagree with you. All right, fair enough, fair enough. Well, Sheffield United were so close to getting their first win of the season, only for a late Danny Welbeck equaliser to rescue a point for Brighton on Sunday. First of all, what did you make of the uh, John Lundstrom red card here, Lewis? Chris Wilder said afterwards that football is in danger of becoming a non-contact sport. I think that's a bit of an overreaction, but <laughs> I, can, I can see his frustration, can't you? Um, I can see the frustration because Lundstrom got the ball, but I think it is one of those situations where it's about how he went about it. And if he'd sort of, if he'd gone with his, you know, boot at an angle and and hit the ball away with the top of his boot, I don't anyone would have had a problem. I don't even think a foul would have been given. It's just that whole studs up thing. Um, You know, if your studs up and whether you get the ball or not, if your studs up and then you like really cleanly hit someone, it's, you know, it's going to be a red card. I don't understand why he went in like that. Yeah, I, I do have a bit of sympathy for players because it's his, it is really hard to tackle without showing your studs at all, isn't it? And sometimes but the Brighton player, I can't remember who it was, but the Brighton player did also go for the ball, but managed yeah. to to not go in with his studs up. So it is it is obviously just sort of a more natural way to when you when you sort of go into a challenge, but. Yeah, I would like. Well, I think what the, in the rules, in the laws, it's like if you if you make a challenge with excessive force, and I think when I just think when you catch somebody so s- sweetly, is that yeah. the wrong word? To use? <laughs> it sounds too positive. If anything, he's um, he's broke his leg a bit too well. Yeah, he's hit him too well. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, yeah, um, he just like the the connection was so pure. Like he's just absolutely smashed into his ankle yeah. with the with the sole of the boot I just think it's nine times out of ten you're just going to get a red card for that yeah well Wilder seemed pretty pleased with this side's endeavour here I mean I feel like I ask a variation of this question every week but if Sheffield United keep plugging away can you see some points coming their way soon Podrig or, or are they just doomed without drastic changes in the in the dugout or where, or wherever yeah I don't I really I don't think they're going to sack him I think the, the chairman's kind of said that plenty of times I don't think it's one of those dreaded voter confidence cliches either I think he's mm. quite genuine in that 
why would they get rid of a guy who, who's been with them that long, who's given them so many good memories, but uh, you do think you just you just look at the way they're playing and you, you just can't see that that um that they're gonna reel off like last season when they just they just seem to play with a confidence from the start and it, th- that momentum just kinda seemed to build and build and you know really good to watch and that confidence in the guys the overlapping centre backs and stuff it's just just not working for them this season and whether it's just teams have, you know, figured out how to nullify them um, a little bit more. But, I mean, the the saving grace, though, I think Lewis mentioned it with West Brom earlier, is that there, there's some, there is a lot of poor teams down at the, the bottom of the table this season. So, I mean, the only kind of positive I would I would have for them is that if the, they can, and it, the, this is still up to them, that they've got to kind of show that they can pull off something else. But there's enough bad teams down there that, you know, that, if they pick up enough points that there'll probably be quite a low low points tallies all round at the bottom yeah. of that table bottom four maybe five yeah it's an interesting one with them because last season they, they scored 39 goals and conceded 39 goals in the whole of the season this year they've got just eight goals and they can, they've conceded 25 already so it shows well, that the sort of uh, attacking output and the defensive output have both been much worse which is when uh, you've got Oliver McBurney up front I'm afraid you're only you're asking for trouble. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, that's just one win in the last twelve for Brighton, and they haven't won at home since they beat Arsenal back in July. They've got West Ham, Arsenal, Wolves, and Man City coming up next. Do you think Graham Potter should be a bit worried about his job, Lewis? I think he'll be worried about staying up. I don't think. I think Brighton are smart, and I don't think he should be worried about his job. Like they, they build for the long term, and. I'm honestly I've watched Brighton a few times this season and I'm astounded that they are where they are in the league mm. like they, they absolutely battered Burnley and they only drew with them they battered Sheffield United on obviously with, against 10 men for for more than just more than half the game on was it Saturday um or Sunday sorry um and yeah they absolutely battered Sheffield United and somehow didn't win they battered Man United and managed to lose uh they deservedly drew with Liverpool and probably unlucky not to come away from from that one with more I just like they easily could be sat comfortably in mid-table already I'm genuinely so so surprised every time I watch them that they (laughs) managed to they conspire to not win Um, and I think in the long run like you know we're 14 games in now I think that will even itself out a bit I think they will pick up those wins and they'll be fine in the end and I do think they're a they're quite a considered club and they won't like panic and and fire a manager who even though on the surface it doesn't look like it I do think he's doing a really good job mm. and they've got Arsenal coming up soon so that's a, a guaranteed three points yeah, like isn't you say, it basically their last home win their only home win in 2020 came against Arsenal they've got the chance to make it two before the year's up there you go there you go well that's all we've got time for on what is the last Premier League weekend review podcast of the year I've been Dan Burke and thank you to Lewis Ambrose and Podrick Whelan for joining me today thank you also to everybody for listening to us during what has been a tough year for everyone we really appreciate you tuning in each week and we hope we've brought a bit of distraction from your lives if nothing else we're taking a break over Christmas now but we'll be back again in early January if you'd like to get in touch with any comments or questions while we're away the email address is podcast at onefootball.com or you can tweet us at onefootball. Happy Christmas to those who celebrate it and Happy New Year to you all.